dear. <laughs> Halloween. I hate you. Welcome to Back in the Field. My name is Carl. And my name is Arthi. And today we're going to be talking about Halloween 2. Oh, I was going to do 2. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you want to try that again? No. We can. Nah. Okay. <laughs> uh, before we say anything else, I really liked this episode. In fact, I liked it so much I couldn't concentrate on tweeting it. Live tweeting it was way too hard. I always can't concentrate on tweeting it. <laughs> but I respect your struggle. I usually manage okay. But what was really cool was like... Prentice Penny did his live tweet, and Mm -hmm. he wrote the episode, and it was really cool hearing about, like, jokes that had been cut, or scenes that got cut, or shortened for the air. It was really awesome. We put up a Storyfy on Back in the Field, so just scroll back a few entries in our Tumblr, and you should be able to see it. It's actually kind of really cool. And the director also, Eric Apple, contributed to that conversation, so it was really interesting. Before we dive into our conversation about this, Carl, what happened in Halloween 2? Well, generally what happens in Halloween is people dress up in costumes and they go around and they acquire candy. But in this specific case, there was a kind of juvenile bet about skullduggery, which went horribly wrong for one of the participants. And Gina lost some of her dreams while trying to pursue others of her dreams. That'll do. So, (laughs) we're going to dive right into this. I'm getting a little avant-garde as we progress through the podcast. I like to think that my art form is maturing and that I haven't jumped some kind of sea creature. Sea beast. Can one jump the Cthulhu? Uh, no, he's far too large. But I feel like that would be like the most. No, up- he's far too large. Oh, I see. You don't understand. A Cthulhu is very large. <laughs> I'm getting the impression. Not as big as an Azathoth, but. I feel like I'm getting the impression that a Cthulhu is rather gargantuan. Yeah, yeah, it's he's a big flabby dragon with a squid face. I know a lot more about this than you need to to bring out in the open. But I love it. I professionally edited a story about Cthulhu's. But I love it. Anyway. Anyway. The Cthulhu is very appropriate for Halloween. It's very scary. Let's just jump right into it. Sure. So my favorite thing about this episode is how thoroughly Jake gets played. He did not have any chance at any point in this episode. No, and... The rule of three of his realization of the what? No. And it escalates like more. So I loved how pitch perfect everything in the box in that interrogation room scene was. It was so terrific. I also liked that in this one, because I rewatched it a couple times now, you can't spot the play happening, but you can spot how fully everyone is against Jake in this. On a second watch, you can tell that Amy and Rose are in on it. They share this poorly concealed slash expertly concealed smile. Other people can interpret that that look on Amy's face in other ways, but it was definitely because she was helping Holt out. But, like, what really got me the first time around, even, is how when Jake starts celebrating, Holt kind of smirks at his back, and I'm like, oh, everything is ruined for one Detective Jake Peralta. <laughs> he has zero chances for the rest of his life. <laughs> Yes, 
I had seen spoiler picks and had forgotten about all of them because apparently I just kept being surprised by this episode. Hmm. It was fun. I kind of let I, myself be taken for a ride. I feel like the spoiler material successfully misrepresented what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. They threw, they like played it off as like a big party episode mm-hmm. when in fact it was this kind of growing tale of desperation in a young man's heart. <laughs> in fact, I feel like Jake Peralta is at his best when he is straight up full on panicking. No, he's at his worst. Well, I but mean- he's definitely, but the show is definitely at his most interesting when at least one of the characters is panicking because (laughs) they just lose all of their cool. (laughs) I just think about like just Jake becoming increasingly desperate for like any kind of resolution and just him being like more and more frustrated by how badly everything is turning out. And then him in the interrogation scene being like, you've probably forgotten about it. It was so long ago. (laughs) Merry Christmas. It's just like, Oh my God. It just doesn't stop. It's like Katamari Damacy. It keeps going and it keeps collecting and it's just like, it gets crazier and crazier. And I love that. Katamari's role. I'm referencing a take that probably got cut. What did I say that Katamari's role? Okay, you're right. Jake is at his worst, but I think the show is at its funniest. Yeah, for sure. We also see, like, Charles panicking in this episode as a little bonus, where he says he has to go do urine in the toilet or something. That's how words work. (laughs) Yeah, that's how people say them. (laughs) Uh, Although, I will say, one of the asks in our box, actually, is about... Wanted us to talk about Jake and Charles getting teamed up instead of Jake and Amy going over the town. And I'm 100% on board with that anonymous ask because, yeah, Jake and Charles is so much a better pairing. Especially because... Jake starts out continuing to be his, like, good friend to Charles Boyle, and the minute he finds out it's a death watch, his, like, goodness just is gone. He backslides hard. Yeah, I think it's a little more gradual than that. Like you said before the episode, like, he emphasizes to, oh, is the death watch thing after he says to Boyle we... Uh, he needs him to be positive. Yeah, so they go to Shaw's, and mm-hmm, he's like, right. oh, the watch is gone, we've been robbed, basically, or the the crook turned on us. So they go back to the office to try and look up his like previous addresses and known associates, and he's like, boy, I really need you to be positive right now. And Boyle's like, damn my mouth. And then Holt comes up, and he's like, can we put this on pause for ten minutes? And, and then Charles is forced to give up his lucky $2 bill that he got in kindergarten, which... That is a dick move, Jake. You're never getting that $2 bill back. I'm sure it was part of Holt's payment to that criminal that the police captain worked with. Yeah. Yeah. So, with that, we're going to bring back our favorite segment, Jake is the Worst. It was basically that part. That was the segment. He also stepped on a syringe, which... He got Bad to- move. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised they didn't cover the serious health ramifications <laughs> of that. Like, he- tuberculosis of the foot, he's not been to a doctor. Maybe that's- in his entire life. <laughs> that's That's definitely not... What that is, he got... Tuberculosis the lung disease. Yeah, he definitely got tetanus. I think that's the word he's trying for. I, I don't know, I mean... Well, that's what tetanus... I mean, when you step... I, I know what. I know how you get tetanus, it's just like, all kinds of things could be happening now. Oh, yeah, no, Jake might... His lifeblood. Jake, yeah, Jake has problems. <laughs> he's also pretty rude to Amy. I, and that's before shit starts going wrong, like when he tells her to grow up. Yeah, but I love that. Do you want me to explain why I love that? If you want to. I want to, I want to explain why I love that. I love that because we have been pretty consistently talking about how Jake and Amy can and often do interact in the way that they did before all the feelings. Yeah. Like their, their interactions are com- more complex than just Jake likes her and Amy wants none of that right now. And this was a good example of like, grow up, Amy. <laughs> it's such a great example of like, 
not all of their interactions are colored by that. Yeah, it's pretty pure Jake, too. Yeah. Like, he does not like having his authority questioned during times when he's showboating. He's even in a goddamn magician's outfit. So, side note, maybe one of my favorite moments in the episode is when he starts pulling this, the <laughs> scarves out of sleep and, uh, Scully says, how? And Jake's response is, a, tr- a good, ma- a true magician never reveals his secrets, young man. But how? I love that. Uh, the My personal favorite, like, one-off gag is him reaching into his coat and being like, oh, that's a dead pigeon. <laughs> and just, like, like making the, the like, oh, no, like, flick, flick kind of hand gesture. I'm also very fond of, uh, I'm going to call you, use your real name so you don't get confused. Good call, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hitchcock and Scully actually stole that moment. They were so good. Although Amy's, yeah, suck it, was so cute. <laughs> was so cute. Oh my okay. god. This uh, was, I feel like this I, is... I think we, I think that we're right, but we're also covering ground that's been covered better by GIF sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to go boldly into the future. Just like Gina! So, somebody asked us in our ass box on Tumblr whether or not Gina is actually going to night school or if it's a cover for her relationship with Boyle. I think she's legit going to, bo- to night school. Well, I think it's both. I mean, yeah. I think that... Her relationship with Boyle is specifically keeping it secret is part of why she's been having so much trouble with night school. But I think it's actually an open question because Gina is not a reliable witness in this episode at all. We got zero flashbacks to night school scenes, which we would normally get. Oh yeah. We, she's acting shady as hell. Basically we just see her leaving scenes and then coming back and lying about it. Maybe she started telling the truth, but we don't have any reason to believe that right now. But she also has a tendency to not lie, not actively lie to Terry. Yeah, but she already lied to Terry this episode. Well, I mean, she she kind of passively lied to Terry this episode. But most people are consistently honest with Terry, and the show has kind of made that point pretty clear. It's true. I, I agree that those scenes generally, generally when those scenes happen on the show, people are telling him the truth. It's just. Gina seems untrustworthy here. I think the biggest counterpoint, though, is that, like, going to night school to get her bachelor's degree is something that Gina would do. She described it as being off-brand for her, but I actually think it's super on-brand. It's her it's her private brand rather than her public brand. Yeah. This is Gina secretly fiscally responsible. This is Gina saving up to buy an apartment. Right, and that's why I have no reason to not believe that she's going to night school. I don't, I, I do think that Boyle is exacerbating her work-life balance issue, wherein work is florgasm and life is her going to college, but I don't think she's not going to college. I do think she is actually getting her degree at night. I think that's a legitimate thing. I bet Boyle doesn't know. 100%. Cause if he, cause if he did, he would be trying to, like, help her out with that and make sure she has enough room in his schedule. Like, he wouldn't want to be the thing in the way of that. Yeah. Also, we have to deal with the idea that if she succeeds at getting her bachelor's, she's going to get a better job. Like I really hope so. And, and I don't mean in the station. Like, she's going to get a job that requires a bachelor's. There are there are civilian roles in police. Yeah, it's possible. But Gina doesn't like or respect cops. Except Holt. I mean, she individually respects Holt. That's she individually true. respects Jake. That's she individually true. likes Jake. She individually likes these people. She doesn't like or respect cops or the institution of policing. You're right, because when I think about all of her t- her being like, I live in a really dangerous neighborhood, the cops are worthless, and they're like, you live in our neighborhood, you're yeah. in our precinct. So yeah. I want to talk about Florgasm. Yeah. She founded Florgasm and they kicked her out. 
That's some serious dedication. But then again, she also missed two straight months of rehearsal. They communicate that message in dance, which was really impressive, and she got it. I got it. Well, I mean, we knew what it was ahead of time. No, even with that, I'm not great at mime, and even I got that. Sure, but it's such... (laughs) Moments like that are open to interpretation. But there were three X's. They could have been referring to the classic Vin Diesel film, XXX. Isn't it called Triple X? I don't care! Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I did that on purpose. I know. <laughs> I haven't ever seen a movie. It's pretty shitty of them. And it doesn't surprise me that they're basically worthless without Gina there. Yeah, they weren't that great. We saw, like, three seconds of them. Mm-hmm. But who's going to steal dance routines from urban youths if not Gina? They don't have that kind of go-getter attitude. I don't know, man. Maybe this was a Mean Girls situation where one of them was doing, like, a full-on power play. Maybe. I don't know about their life. I like that you brought up earlier that, like, Boyle would be finding a way to supplement Gina's ability to attend night school if he knew. Or at least not be an obstacle. Yeah. Well, I find that interesting because, like, Boyle does not interact with Gina at all. And Jake interacts with Amy, like, twice. She calls him gay Robin Hood. That's true. But that's not really an interaction. The entire team's there. Yeah. They can't be their true selves. <laughs> but yeah, like... This is a non-shipping episode. Yeah, there's no... Well, you finish. There are no real interactions among the ships that have a substantial following. <laughs> but a lot of people with friendships found things to delight in. <laughs> Representing their unique points of view will be my co-host, Arthy D. <laughs> I, okay, I'm on and off shift Jake and Holt a little bit in season one, but in this episode... I'm shaking my head. He is shaking his head so hard, you guys. Like, he's like full on face palming here. When Jake and Holt are in the interrogation room sitting across the table from each other, I remember even when I was on the treadmill attempting poorly to live tweet this episode, just thinking really loudly in my head, oh my god, I ship it. And I ship it so hard. You guys, I'm so into it. I'm not normally into Jake Holt, but like, oh my god, it was so here. It was right there in the episode. It was right there. A perfect, a perfect classic May-December romance. Oh, I'm into it. He's a father figure. Like, he is straight up a father figure, and I'm not here for that. Eh, that's fair. I mean, look, there, there, you're going to have no TPs. It's fine. Speaking of, I was looking through the tag, and in this episode, people found ways to ship Terry Gina, which I know is a thing. It's sort of. Like, the show keeps dangling it. Jake Rosa... Which, I mean, I understand that you're blinded by a cat suit. I like that Stephanie Beatrice got to use her real voice there, though. Oh, yeah! Good, good, good blind. Stepping back a bit, I shouldn't hate on people's ships. I think that the... There are teases here they are pretty thin on the ground, and they're all kind of non-threatening teases for canon ships. I um, definitely support pre-series Jake Rosa. Like, if people are going to write that, have at it. I could buy that. Sure, but not with emotions attached, I think. No, I could also buy pre-series Jake Gina. That almost certainly happened when they were kids. I don't believe in that. (laughs) And not because they're such close friends now. Because you can be quite close friends with an ex. I just don't think that 
For some reason, I suspect that during their teenage years, especially Jake and Gina were on different, were, were moving into their adult lives at different velocities. Oh yeah. We've talked about this. Gina was an at-risk youth and yeah. Jake probably was sort of tangentially, but not nearly in the same way. Like maybe they had kitty crushes on each other before that. But by the time they're teenagers, when they've grown up so much together. Oh yeah. When you grow up with someone, there's, there's a standard psychological effect that you stop being able to find them attractive. This doesn't happen always, but it happens really, really frequently. This is, this is why, you know, siblings falling for each other is, is quite rare. It happens, but it's rare because of the psychological effect. And it doesn't just happen to people that are your biological siblings. It happens to anyone who you grow up with for years and years and years. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have a response to that. I mean, there's the only example I can think of. I mean, they're the anti-Cory and Topanga is really all it is. I realize that's a reference you're not familiar with. Now, I know about Boy Meets World. Okay, I good. know that it happened. Okay, good. I, I, I toyed with the idea of saying that I know about Saved by the Bell <laughs> with Zach Braff, okay. but... No, not I know Zach it's Braff. not with Zach Braff. <laughs> I don't know who it is with, but I know it's not with Zach Braff. It's, uh, I don't know. I know Mario Lopez is in that. Cool. And I think Lisa Lisa. Frankie Muniz. Is he? I know he's not. He's in <laughs> Third Rock from the Sun or something. No, he's not. <laughs> Joseph Gordon Levitt is in Third Rock from the Sun. Along with John Wait, Joseph, Joseph Gordon Levitt and John Lithgow are in Third Rock from the Sun? Together, yes. Then why did it seem so trash to me from the distance of not watching it when I was a kid? Because it was made with super low production value. Oh, like Pete and Pete, which some people think is good. Clarissa was so much better than Pete and Pete. I can't comment on Clarissa because I didn't watch Clarissa, but I also didn't watch Pete and Pete. But you know what was the best of all those shows? Fucking Mystery Files of Shelby Woo. That is, there's no 90s nostalgia for that, and I can't figure out why. Did I ever even see a commercial for that? It was on... I don't remember shit about Mystery Files of Shelby Woo. It was on SNCC right after all that. I loved this show. I think it was pretty late when we got past all that when I was a kid. Anyway, we gotta, we gotta go. We have to move on because, so we talked about how there's no shipping or rather it's a pretty like gen episode unless you're into like friendships like me and my Jake Holt ship that I'm way too into. And for the record, I generally agree that mentor mentee relationships like shouldn't turn into shipping. Like I don't like that in general because I definitely did not ship Tony Gibbs. But in this regard, I definitely ship it. Can't even recognize the show. I said a bunch of words you didn't understand. That's okay. I understood most of the words. I speak English. I just don't know what Tony and Gibbs are. They're from but, NCIS. Yeah, okay. It's fine. So, There's I'm- characters in NCIS? <laughs> Moving on. I thought they were just letters. <laughs> That's so great. I wanted to say that this episode was more balanced, I felt, than the last few that have come before it. I have had this problem with the last few episodes where I felt like there was just so much happening and it was just too much for how much time there was. The last, like, definitely the first three episodes of this season, I was like, man, I wish there were ten more minutes so we could get just a little more out of this episode because maybe the plot lines didn't fulfill the, the like, fully or culminate the way I wanted them to or even come to a point where I felt they were actually completed. I know that we talked in Undercover about how the B-plot could have been an A-plot in an alternate episode. Like, it was really strong and really funny, but, like, 
I don't know. This was the first episode where I was like, man, actually, everything came to a point where I was really okay with it. And that's even with, like, knowing that there were scenes, like, Gina's dance gets cut short, that, like, there's a whole scene with Jake and Holt talking at that bar where Gina's dancing. We saw spoiler pictures for it, and it was not in the episode. There are also, like, indications that certain lines were, like, shortened or cut or edited differently. Like, even knowing that, I don't mind. Like, I really liked... This episode, I think it felt really, like, it felt appropriately full. It was well-tailored. Some people have ragged on how much how much we talk about chips. And, you know, we're going to do we. But it is striking how much more they can get into an episode where they're not trying to keep both the main chips alive. When they're just like, you know, whenever we bring this back, you'll be into it. It'll be back <clears throat> soon, because that's what the show is about. But it doesn't have to be everywhere. I wonder if they do better when there's only one ship to focus on. Eh, I, I think that actually having two kinds of romantic tension going on is very good for them. Right. Because it prevents this kind of, like, monolithic idea of what love is. I agree. I just think maybe, like, having both of those plot lines be, like, hyperactive, hyper-forefront. This might be why we got an ask about uh, why, whether we feel that they didn't cover the undercover plot line enough. I... I, I think... You know, <clears throat> do you not want to do this? No, no, I do. Um, but I, I have a different take on it beyond. But finish your thought. I think that that trying to do so much with Amy and Jake and Boyle and Gina uh, may have shorted them a bit on their ability to cover that. Like they wanted, they basically stated their mission statement that you have ten seconds to dwell on this undercover thing. Then we have to move on to your ship. I kind of see what the anonymous user there might be asking alternatively, though, which is that, like, we see no, for lack of a better word, fallout from that. There's no ramifications whatsoever. It was just party, party, done. And it's like, yo, he was undercover with the mob. Jake straight up calls them one of the best crime families. Like, unless they're super do-goody, which is not likely. Yeah, they all seem like scumbags. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just... I, I see where the anonymous... They jokes about decks. Who does that? Jake doesn't even own a deck. <laughs> I'm surprised Jake knows what a deck is, given that he didn't fucking know Brooklyn is on the water. It's a character. He's doing a character. <laughs> it is pretty weird that he didn't know they lived near water. Like... <laughs> You're on an island. You're on Long Island. I know it's island. Long, but, you know, I legit did not understand that Brooklyn and Queens were on Long Island. We have talked about this multiple times on the podcast. Oh, we have? Sure. We have definitely. I know, sure. but I, I'm okay with bringing it back because it continues to be a I also, point of wonder for me. I Manhattan was just another name for New York, which is what people who live on Manhattan think. <laughs> Lucky you Hashtag New York humor. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> High five sound effect. You mentioned earlier that... Um, you like having different kinds of romantic tension on the show. I yep. agree. And you also mentioned that, like, the reason Holt and Jake are a no-TP for you is their sort of father-son, mentor-mentee dynamic. Yeah. I like that this show is as much about found families as anything else. And I know we're not at Thanksgiving yet, and those feels will probably come to the forefront there again. But it's nice to see the establishment of a tradition like this. That's something that uh, we see repeated in Sher and Gore shows. So they're clearly going to milk the Halloween tradition next year. Mm-hmm. We're seeing Jake buy in to Holt's statement that, you know, making new traditions with your new family is is one of the perks of being an adult. Adult. He, 
yes, an adult. And he wants everyone to participate in this. Like, he gives people code names. I mean, they all turn around and betray him, but he admits that he finds that hot. So I think it's fine. Um, I hope That's that, something that Jake and Gina have in common again. They both kind yeah. of thrive on dysfunction. Um, what I hope is that next year when they do this tradition, there'll be factions. I think that would be a really good route for them to take. But yeah, we see, like... How would that break down? I want to spec this out. It would, it would entirely depend on the incentive package and recent micro-tensions. And if, if Boyle and Gina are on the out-and-outs, they'd be on opposite sides. Um, Will Jake and Amy stay on different sides? I mean, it depends whether they're, like... Together? Whether they're together. In fact, if they're together, it makes it more likely because it creates mini-tension. But this is specking out something that might not happen at all, so... But we're into it. Yeah, it would be cool. Um, I think they've done all of them on Jake's side and all of them on Holt's side. They basically can't make it surprising again, so there has to be some other source of conflict and tension. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we're into it, is the point here. I'm super into it. And, I don't know, I just like the idea of... of Not the idea, I like the reality of competition really bringing out the best in a lot of you once said that the the way that AUs for this show work best is when everyone is in a collaboratively competitive environment yeah and I think episodes like this hold that out to be true where like we don't see Jake's inherent characteristic as being him competitive that's Amy's primary characteristic is that she's competitive but Jake responds well to competition in this case, it did not work out for him. It doesn't, it doesn't work out for him, but he responds to it. Yeah, he responds well to it, and he takes it well. Yeah. Um. It's all in the spirit of the game. Yeah, even though, like, literally Scully and Hitchcock outdid him, and he didn't even think about it. Harsh. There's a ton of stuff from this episode that, like, were improvised by Andy Samberg, apparently. Like, huh. him putting his hand in the mouth of the bear. Was improvised. I didn't catch that the first time. The second time I watched it, I was like, that's this kind of a weird thing to have done right there. Yeah. Also, him coming out from behind the door, improvised. <laughs> I'm behind oh, the door! And everyone's response. It's like enforced method Man, acting. Man, someone snuck up behind me today while I was talking about the movie Gone Girl. Uh-oh. And I like, friggin', I sputter out and I crouched all the way down the floor. Oh, no. I almost leapt for the throat. It was terrible. So I can understand the method acting. Yeah. I love enforced method acting on TV. It's kind of my favorite Not in real life, co-worker. (laughs) Do they listen to the show? I don't think so. Okay. They all watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, though. That's Almost. One of them doesn't. Like three people at my office watch the show. None of them listen to my podcast. Thank you. (laughs) I think one of them might eventually listen to my podcast. There's a lot of stuff from behind the scenes that we found out this episode. Because the writer and the director of this episode were tweeting about it. And, you know, like, there was some cool stuff. Like, there was the New York Times article about Andre Brar that was written while this episode was being filmed. And there was a AV Club article about the prop master for the show that was written while this episode was being filmed. There's a lot of stuff. And, like, kind of to play into that, like... I remember I tweeted out during our live tweet that the set looked amazing. Like, they didn't do this last year. The Halloween episode last year, the set was not this super decorated. Well, the half of the plot of last year's Halloween was about Amy having reservations about the concept of Halloween. 
So it'd be weird to see the entire thing, like, dressed to the nines. When she's sitting there going, Halloween is the worst, we have to work, like, triple duty. Yeah, but Whereas I they don't work at all this episode. Yeah. Someone else is doing all the patrolling. I guess that is beat cop jobs. Yes. Like, it didn't make sense that they were doing it last year. No. Also, like... Should be more work after Halloween. Yeah, all the processing and booking. Mm. Which is Amy's favorite part after... Yeah. All the other stuff. No, I I just, I thought, I mean, shout out to everyone who worked on the set for this episode, because the precinct was super great, decor- like, the decorations were awesome. There was, like, I like the mask. shit. I like the mask on the punching man. Yes! CPR guy or whatever? It's called a B.O.B. It's a body uh, punching bag. A standing body punching bag. I, I didn't have one as a kid, but my Taekwondo dojo did. Oh, yeah. I guess it's not a dojo, it's Taekwondo, whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, I loved that. I loved how well decorated this, this, this set was. And, I don't know, I just think it's awesome with stuff like that. I also liked that they, they dug up everyone's costume from last year for like the three seconds we saw. Like, it, they made her get wrapped up in crime scene tape again. And like, 70 meters. They might have filmed that last year. Did they? Ooh, could they have? Could they have? Mm-hmm. If anyone from the show is listening, tell us if they filmed that this year or if that was an extra from last year. They probably didn't, but like, with we're we cutting you that could out. Totally, then. Uh, no, no, like it's it's possible, and you could totally predict this plot line from inside the writers' room for next year. They're like, oh, we're gonna do Halloween every year. Well, then this is what's gonna happen next year. Let's film this footage, and if we don't go in this direction, we won't use it. But I loved it so much. I will say my favorite behind the scenes bit is. That everyone was talking, all the actors and stuff were tweeting about how that scene where with Jake and like the toy drone, like it took them 10 hours to film that because they kept having to do it from like every angle. And I'm just like, I just think about like, I can't, I can't even be at my job for 10 hours. No, that's, that's too much. (laughs) Like I can't even sit at my desk and I can't Tumblr for 10 hours. I get sick of Tumblr too. That particular element of that particular scene felt a little weird for me. Just because of how laden drones are. So I also read an article this week, which was the, um, the Bloomberg review of, of Brooklyn Nine-Nine as not really being about cops. Because there's no kind of community cop tension when NYPD popularity ratings are the lowest they've ever been. And deservedly. <laughs> uh, even though, like, crime is also at a record low. They just keep killing civilians. But this doesn't seem like a show in which someone would have to spend an entire year dealing with the results of accidental lethal force. You know? (laughs) You shouldn't laugh, but that's... Well, this is basically a direct quote from the article. And drones in particular are, if not already, going to soon be part of the military-to-police pipeline. Right? Like... I mean, your quote from directly before the show is, they're going to have them by Thursday. Uh, yeah, I mean, on Thursday, there's going to be predator drones stopping and frisking your babies on every street corner in New York. Specifically mine. Because Specifically your babies. Because I'm a woman of color. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they'll, 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 they'll be, like, frisking your stomach in case there's, like, terrorist babies in there, right? For the record, <laughs> yeah. They, wow. Oh, you took that to a dark place. I, well, the NYPD is in a dark place. <laughs> America's in a dark place. For the record, I'm nowhere near pregnant. Yeah, I I don't want to imply that on national television. I mean podcasts. <laughs> it's an international podcast. Thank you. Shit. We have one very dedicated listener in Lagos. 
Shit. Thank you. Yeah. Mad props to you. I was going to say that the police are probably better wherever our listener is listening from, but I, I don't know anything about the Lagos PD. Yeah, Nigeria is a whole different country. Yeah, it's different from America. Better at dealing with Ebola, though. Unlike Americans with their inability to understand African geography. Our inability to understand African geography or how Ebola works or anything. But we're talking about the police right now, not the Ebola crisis. <laughs> Hashtag, it could be both. Hashtag crisis. It could be both. The Dallas PD is having to deal with the uh, Ebola crisis. Dallas PD can suck. Can suck they are the fucking worst. No, there's a long list of which PD are the worst. But uh, we 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 agreed though several months ago that we weren't going to bring in too much of the outside world into our conversations about the sh- the show. That article had a kind of lasting Im- impact on me after no. I read it. So it's on my mind right now and. No, I I mean, feel free to keep going. Mm-hmm. I just, I find when I bring in, and I said this before, like, I find if I bring in too much of the real world of, like, what's happening right now into conversations about this show, I'd stop enjoying this show. Yeah, well, I think, so it didn't, it didn't kill the enjoyment for me. I think actually long-term the Bloomberg article is going to be kind of helpful to me because it's going to remind me that, like, it's not a cop these thing. aren't cops. Yeah. They're very witty writers in a room somewhere. Like, these guys don't do any cop work. Yes. Cop work looks nothing like this. I, okay. So, yes and no. The amount of paperwork they do is accurate. Yeah, but they, like, complain about it for five seconds and then it's gone. <laughs> yeah, it's true. They can make Scully do all of it. <laughs> I really hope not. I don't think he'd be any better at it than Jake. He filled in a billion of those little boxes. He's still filling in a billion of those boxes. Yeah, it'll take a while. Yeah. I will say, I will say, the most obvious way that we know that this is not a cop show is Amy's fucking backstory. Still doesn't make any fucking sense. I Bringing will, it back. I am never not going to be mad about that until I get a proper explanation. I'm going to be mad about it forever. I answered an app, two asks about it, and I seethed for like 15 seconds last episode, and I'm going to stay mad. Never forget. Topical. <laughs> so that's everything we had on our list about this episode. I think that's enough. I do want to say next week there is no episode um, that's new. I mean, Broken Feather or something is airing. <laughs> Whatever. He chose Broken Feather. <laughs> something like that. Um, so instead. It's sports related, but they're not even <laughs> showing football. <laughs> um, so instead they're going to be showing uh, the World Series. In case you like watching baseball on TV. <laughs> I went to a baseball game. It was fun. But TV? Mets lost so badly. So few things happened in that game. But the beer was good. So next week, instead of us doing like an episode recap or whatever, because we can't, I'm not going to redo the Broken Feather commentary. You guys can go look up the Broken Feather commentary. We did it. It's we, over there. We don't even like that episode. <laughs> yes. You cut out half of that episode from canon. Yeah. You declared it uncanon. Well, like third. Whatever. Anyway, the point is, we're going to be doing a Q&A episode next week. So if you have stuff you want us to answer on air, we're not going to answer any asks starting from when this episode goes live until when we record the episode. So like Monday. Monday is the cutoff. Sunday Sunday evening, New York time, is the cutoff for you guys to send us asks. We'll answer as many of them as we can on air whenever we record. And... uh you can send them to us on Tumblr. You can tweet them at us. At, we're at Back in the Field on Twitter. 
Or uh, you can actually email them into us. We are back in the field podcast. That's all one word at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out. But, uh, and send us other stuff too if you want like gift sets or whatever you want us to reblog. We're game. Don't do that. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) not that one because I like my stuff. But we are going to be taking questions to answer on air. So please send us anything you've been curious about, want us to pontificate over. Thank you, Carl. Valid preposition choice. Yes. I think. Pontificate about is is a more common usage. Either way. Now I don't know anything. Either way, we're going to be pontificating. So no, that, that works. But we will be pontifexes. That's different. Thanks for listening. This has been Back in the Field. My name is Arthi. I'm Carl. Bye, everyone. See you next week.